This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. So, we're going to be um, talking about the book of Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs is an amazing book, isn't it? It's packed with all sorts of um, what I would call tweetable one-liners. Little bits of a, snippets of advice that just help us to live uh, a fruitful and healthy life. Um, and, and I think we spend lots of time, don't we, thinking about how the Bible helps us to um, know God. If you want to have a, a fruitful and healthy life, the first thing you've got to get sorted is your relationship with God. Um, and we spend a lot of time talking about that, but, but the book of Proverbs helps us to realize that, that actually there's ways that we can live our life, decisions that we can make, um, things that we can do that just lead to a life that is full of the blessings and the goodness and the peace of God. And so... I'm guessing that over these weeks you're going to um, spend a lot of time thinking very practically about how we live. And um, so what I thought I'd do today is I, I want to talk to us um, on the subject of what you say matters. Um, if you want to live a blessed life, then you've got to get your relationships in order, right? One of the biggest things that affects the quality of your life your happiness, your peace and everything is, is whether your relationships are working or whether they're not. And, uh, and if you want to have relationships that work, then learning to control your tongue is of paramount importance. Everybody just poke your tongue out at me a sec. This is a small part of our bodies, right? But it is a very, very powerful tool that can be used both for good and for bad. And the reality is, if, if your life is full of volatile and difficult and strained relationships, then you're guaranteed to be unhappy. But if your relationships are working for you, then the chances are life is going to feel pretty good. And because knows, God knows a lot about relationships, you, you notice he's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit living in relationship for all eternity. He knows a lot about relationships and how to make them work. And so we realize that God, rather than just giving us a book that tells us how to do our vertical relationship well. He's also given us all sorts of wisdom about how to get these relationships working in our lives too, right? And so we're going to spend some time thinking about that, and in particular, thinking about um, how we can speak and how we can listen, because what you say matters. The book of Proverbs says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Isn't that sobering? That what you say can be used to both build up and to tear down. This small little thing in our mouths has so much power. And, and, and the book of James, I think it is, it, it, uses, it uses three different, um, I suppose, metaphors to describe the power of the tongue. 
You may be familiar with them. The first one that James uses in James chapter 3, he uses, uh, he talks about the bit of a horse. Now, you guys are in Cheltenham. Cheltenham is famous for its horse racing. You all know what a bit does, right? You put a bit in the mouth of a horse, and all of a sudden, you can control the whole animal. And what James is saying is, he's saying, look, that that is the power of the tongue. He goes on and talks about ships. He says, ships are huge vessels, but the rudder has all of the control. And finally, he talks about forest fires, and he says, the tiniest little fire can start, but it can sweep across a whole forest. That is the power of the tongue. The tongue might look small, but it comes with massive impact. We've only got to look at Donald Trump on the other side of the pond to realize what you say matters, right? And so the question for us today is how does the Bible help us to figure out how to use our mouths, how to use our words wisely? I should say this too. It's not just what we say, but it's what we do with these things and these things that matters, right? Facebook, text messages, emails, what we say matters. Whether we say it with our mouths or whether we say it through our hands, what we say matters. And so we want the Bible to help us to think through how can we use our mouths to have healthy relationships. Should we pray and just ask the Lord Jesus to help us? Father, we um, thank you for your word. We thank you that you don't just um, want us to discover how we can have a relationship with you, but you want us to have healthy relationships with one another. We thank you, Lord, for the book of Proverbs. We thank you that it's packed full of practical instruction to us. And we pray, God, as we unpack some of these things together now, that you might help us, that you might speak to us, that we might be changed by your word, that we discover grace as we go to. In Jesus' name, amen. So how can the Bible help us? The first thing I want to say is this. I'm hoping it's going to come up. Use your words sparingly. Anybody have a tendency towards verbal diarrhea or is it just me? (laughs) James chapter 1, I know we're talking about the Proverbs, but James and Proverbs kind of go together in so many ways. James chapter 1 verse 19 says this. Everybody which includes you, should be quick to listen and slow to speak. You might have heard that that, um, somebody say, there's a reason that we've got one of these and two of these. Right? It's a biblical principle. We're meant to go through life doing more listening than we are speaking, which for some of us is a massive revelation in itself. Right? Right? How are you doing at that? How are you doing at that? You might think, yeah, but, but I just like to talk. I'm a chatty kind of guy. But, but no, everybody, even you, should be quick. And you're probably there sitting there thinking, oh, there's that guy in church that just doesn't stop talking. <laughs> right? Maybe it's you. I don't know. Quick to listen and slow to speak. James chapter 3 warns us that the tongue 
is untamable. And um, I've got a dog called Nelson. He's, he's a big, black Labrador. He's about 35 kilograms. Our house is way too small for a dog as big as Nelson. And I've learned a bit about untamability over the last two years because Nelson is a good dog. He's an obedient dog. He does what I say all the time except when he sees sheep. And in Wales, there's a lot of sheep, which means we can be having a really nice day out and then all of a sudden, Nelson has gone. And I'm the guy who's there like running along the hill. Nelson, come, come back. <laughs> when James warns us that the the tongue is untamable. It's a, it's, a, it's a sober warning to us as Christians. We might think, actually, I've, I've figured this stuff out. When I was young and foolish, I used to talk a lot, or I used to gossip up. But now I'm, a, I'm doing so much better. I'm a Christian. I've sorted myself out. Whatever it is, I'm in control of my tongue. No, our tongues are a bit like Nelson. We think we've got control of them, and all of a sudden, something happens in our life. Somebody offends us. Somebody speaks badly about us. So we have the chance to gossip, and all of a sudden, our tongue is off. You ever notice that? Or is that just me? The tongue is untamable. So we're warned to use our words sparingly. The Bible encourages us to be slow in speech for a number of reasons. First of all, Proverbs 13, verse 3, says this. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Be slow in speech so that you don't get into trouble. Anybody ever done that? (laughs) Howard put his hand up. He's the only one. I can't believe that only Howard. I've done it. Proverbs 21, 23 says, Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Here's a reality check. If you get into trouble a lot, might be at work, might be at school, might be with your husband or your wife, if you keep getting into trouble, maybe you just need to learn to keep your mouth shut. (laughs) Second thing is this, why keep your mouth shut? It keeps us out of sin. Proverbs 10, 19, when words are many, sin is not lacking. How true that is. The Bible goes one step further, actually. In, um, in Proverbs 17, 28, I think I've got this up here, yeah. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. We've got a guy in our church called Chris. He's not a fool. But he's just a quiet guy. And just because he's quiet, you kind of think, he's really wise. <laughs> Ever notice that, you know? He just kind of keeps himself to himself and then he only speaks when he's got something really good to say and you just think, Chris is really wise. He actually is quite wise. But um, there's something, isn't there, in keeping your mouth shut that just, just it stops you looking foolish. It stops you getting into trouble. It stops you wandering into sin. So use your words sparingly. It sounds, here's the problem for me anyway. It sounds so good when you read the book of Proverbs, Right? But what happens when you get into a moment where you just want to spit something out? It feels almost impossible, doesn't it? When somebody offends you or um, hurts your feelings, someone lets you down. Maybe you're like me, you just like sharing your opinions a lot. Anybody around here like that? (laughs) That is not wisdom. It's foolishness. 
That's what the book of Proverbs says to us. If we want to have relationships that work, then we need to be sparing in what we say. Nobody wants to be friends with somebody that hogs the conversation all the time. Do you realise that? No one wants to be friends with somebody that has to throw their opinion around every hour of the day. I felt convicted when I was preparing this sermon about that. We do well to hear the Holy Spirit speaking to us about this, right? Jesus Christ, our Saviour, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Is that remarkable? The psalmist prays in Psalm 141, verse 3, Lord, set a guard over my mouth. Keep watch at the door of my lips. Some of us need to pray that prayer. Some of us need to pray that prayer every single day when we go to work. Some of us need to pray that prayer when we walk back from, into our homes from work. Lord, set a guard over my mouth that I might use this, this mouth of mine, the words that I speak, the things that I write on Facebook to to do good. Set a guard. Watch, keep watch at the door of my lips. So I want to say this. Use your words sparingly. But the next question comes then. When we do speak, what should we say? Right? You can't walk around not saying anything ever. You'd not have any friends. The go- I've got a golden rule for us. And this is it. Speak when you have good things to say. You know my, um, my mum? I grew up in a house full of... Uh, me, I've got two brothers, three boys. I'm actually... Um, we've got... A, <laughs> there was a snigger already. <laughs> I've got a little boy. We're having another little boy on the 29th of June or thereabouts. So um, I know a bit about living in a house of boys. And we used to play... And we also used to fight. <laughs> yeah, see, play. Yeah. We had a lot of fun together. We went on great adventures and sometimes it just boiled over. And there would be moments where my mum would come into the, uh, the lounge or into the garden where me and my brothers were, you know, being boys. And, um, and she'd say, look, if you haven't got anything good to say to one another, then don't say anything at all. And that's the Bible. Ephesians chapter 4, 29 let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, listen to this, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it might give grace to those who hear. Do you want to have relationships that work? Then only speak when you've got good things to say. If it's going to upset if it's going to antagonise, if it's going to undermine, if it's going to bore, if it's going to confuse, if it's going to humiliate, if it's going to provoke, if it's going to frustrate, if it's going to cause an argument, the Bible says, keep your mouth shut. So hard, right? Do you want to moan? Do you want to talk about yourself unnecessarily? Do you want to criticise or judge or gossip or slander? I've got a piece of advice to you. Write it in a journal, but keep your mouth shut. Right? This is Bible. Because the goal of how we use our mouth should be what it says at the end of that verse in Ephesians, that we might give grace to those who hear us. 
This is so important. This is so important in our marriages. I'm guessing many of you are married. Some of you might not be, but maybe you're hoping to be one day. Learn to speak grace into your marriage. Learn to hold back when you feel upset. The book of Proverbs, chapter 16, 24, it says this, Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. When I was a, uh, when I was a teenager, I used to do a paper round. And um, quite regularly on a Friday afternoon, um, I would buy myself a... Anybody had a honeycomb Yorkie? I don't even know whether they sell those things anymore. Steve remembers them, yeah? It, it was incredible. It was, honestly, let's just get serious for a minute. It was really incredible. Honeycomb and Yorkie chocolate together. Honeycomb is so delicious, right? It's sweet. Apparently it's sweeter than honey. Somebody told me that. And the Bible says that when we use our words graciously, you know that word grace, it means undeserved kindness. When we speak with undeserved amounts, not just speaking nicely when somebody deserves it, but even when they don't deserve it, when we speak lovingly and kindly into our relationships, it is as sweet as honeycomb Yorkie. It's delicious. It just, it's, it's, it's beautiful, it's lovely. It, it makes relationships so much better. How are we doing with that? You know, just the other week we were in church. We actually, it was the, the week of our, our launch um, in our new building. We packed the place out. We had about 100 people in our new venue. And um, it, was, it was great fun. And um, just as some friends, some old friends of mine were leaving, um, we were outside the building and had this quiet little moment. And my friend just said to me, Ben, we're so proud of you and Lois. And it was just a beautiful moment of the power of encouragement. Because it tasted to me like honeycomb Yorkie. It just tasted so sweet. You know, encouraging people and building them up and speaking well and blessing with our words. It's just the most sweet and wonderful thing that we can do. But here's a question, right? What about when we disagree? Because we do. I'd love to say that, you know, my relationship with Lois was just like floating on cloud number nine all the time and we never have a difficult conversation. <laughs> but that's not life. Life is full of, um, of challenges. And the question then is, how do we bring correction or criticism or deal with conflict? Well, maybe you're a manager in work, Maybe it's, this is just something that um, happens with friends. I've been thinking about this, and I want to give us um, some pointers as to how we can deal with conflict and, and criticism and do it well. So I've got five questions that we can ask when we need to have difficult conversations. Oh, four questions. There we are. <laughs> the fifth one will remain a secret. <laughs> four questions. Here we go. Number one. Do we need to talk, or can I let it go? This verse is huge. Whoever covers an offence seeks love. Just let let that sink in. Whoever covers an offence seeks love. But he who repeats a matter separates close friends. There's nothing worse, is there, in life, in work, 
in marriage when somebody keeps pointing out the same thing you did over and over again. Right? Love enables us to just sweep things away. Hey, do I need to bring that correction? Actually, no. In love, I can just let it go. Do I need to say it? Proverbs 10.19 says, Sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent hold their tongues. Isn't that helpful? Do we need to talk about it, or can I in love just let it go? Number two. Am I the best person to bring this correction? You know, there's certain people in our lives that are well-placed to bring correction to us, right? Lois, my wife, I know she loves me dearly, I love her to bits. She can say almost anything to me, and I will listen, because I know she loves me. There's other people in my life who I would let speak um, very honestly and openly to me about things, bring criticism and correction. Those who know us deeply, those we respect, those we have known for a a long time. But you don't have to be the person, and you might be, I don't know, who goes and has to point out everybody's faults, whoever they are. Have you ever met somebody like that? Oh, right? Oh, they're just not going to have any friends, right? Am I the best person to bring correction? You might be, have been wronged by somebody in church. You might see stuff in church going on that you think, this isn't quite right. Am I the right person to fire off an email to Howard? Maybe not. Or do I need to let somebody else have that conversation? Relationships go pretty south when we spend all our time pointing out one another's faults. And just a warning here. I had to say this to our church a few weeks ago. You do not need to be the Facebook police. You don't need to be the guy that keeps a track of everybody else's church's Facebook pages, and then every time they say something that's not Christian, you have to start a discussion or an argument on Facebook, or point it out to somebody, tell somebody else about how concerned you are about such and such. We don't need to live like that. Am I the best person to bring correction? Third question. When would be a good time? When would be a good time to bring correction or have a difficult conversation? Proverbs says, a word in season, how good it is. I'm going to write a proverb. A word not in season is terrible, right? (laughs) Anybody ever walked through the door of work on a Monday morning and said, John, I need to see you. Pull them into your office and you start criticizing them, right? Monday morning, 9 a.m. is not a good time to bring correction to your employees. Just, they're going to have a terrible week, right? Anybody ever climbed into bed with their husband or wife and then started talking about the thing that you know you needed to talk about? Uh-uh. <laughs> Wrong thing to do. There are times to bring correction and have difficult conversations and there are times just to go to bed. Or to get on with your work. A word in season, how good it is. And let me say this, when you do need to have these conversations, it's never the right time to do it if you're in public. Right? It's never the right time to do it if you're in public. It's never the right time to do it on Facebook. 
If you need to have a difficult conversation with somebody, do it to their face. If you've got a concern about something in church life, speak to Howie or one of the other elders. At the very best, phone them. Don't write emails. A word in season, how good it is. When we're wise with that, relationships flourish. When we're unwise, foolish with that, relationships can quickly fall to pieces. And number four, fourth question I always ask, how can I share my thoughts and feelings in a way that is careful, gentle, and gracious? Careful because Proverbs says, a careful answer brings joy. It's those honeycomb Yorkies again, right? Gentle because a soft answer turns away wrath. Now there's been times in my life where I've known I've had to have a difficult conversation with somebody and I might have spent an hour preparing for a five-minute conversation. Because I know that the conversation that we're going to have, if it doesn't come out carefully and with gentleness, it's going to cause an atomic bomb in our relationship, right? There's wisdom in that. I'm I'm recognising more and more, and particularly in the life of the church, I'm recognising that my own tendencies are towards pride and defensiveness and insecurity. Which means, when I have to have a difficult conversation, if I'm not well prepared, then I'm going to respond out of pride and selfishness and defensiveness and insecurity. And when two people do that, everything goes wrong. But if we plan to have careful and gracious conversations, gentle conversations, then even when we have difficult conversations, we can find that our relationships flourish. (coughs) Next question I want us to consider. What are some of the things that we can use our speech for that destroy relationships quickly? I'm going to whiz through these. The first one is this. Self-centeredness. If you always talk about yourself, then it's very difficult for people to be your friend. Ever thought of that? I'm opinionated, so what I'm about to say, I say to myself, no one wants to hear all your opinions, all the reasons you're right, all your problems, all your challenges, all the great things you've done, all your answers to the world's problems. People don't want to hear it. Don't be the guy... I had to say this to our church, don't be the guy or girl that walks into church on a Sunday and splurges all of your problems over everybody. Right? You might not do that so much in Cheltenham, but people like to do that in Tonopenny. Maybe like you to keep them to yourselves. Church is a place where we can get support, where we share our problems and our needs, where we can, um, where we can go deep in relationship with one another, and talk honestly, knowing that we've got the grace of God at work in our lives to help us. Of course it is. But we don't need to be people that talk about ourselves all the time. There's a very simple solution to this. Ask questions. Ask questions. I was on the phone to um, a friend. It might have actually been Howard. I can't remember. I use this illustration in our church. I was on the phone to another church leader and we had this weird conversation because um, it seemed like for the first two minutes of the conversation we were both intent on asking each other questions and nobody wanted to answer any. 
which got really awkward really quick. Was this you? I don't know. Could have been. It's like, how are you? How's your day? How's your week? How's your family? How's your church? And neither of us wanted to answer because we were both trying to engage the other person in conversation first. It's like, this is just weird. I want to hang up and start again. But seriously, (laughs) ask questions. Come to church and ask people questions. How are you? How's your family? How's your life? You know? And let's be willing to be honest and answer them too. Let's push away from self-centeredness. The second thing is criticism. Poorly directed, unnecessary, self-righteous criticism kills relationships. Godly correction and criticism are very different things, right? There's loving correction, and then there's criticism, which is an act of judgment or fault-finding. And if you're the kind of person that likes to criticize, then chances are you're not going to have good, healthy relationships. I've got to be honest, this is something I struggle with a lot. And I struggle with it a lot. And what I've realized, I used to think that the reason I criticized was because I knew best and I was always right. And as I've got a little bit older, I've realized that's a load of rubbish. Actually, the reason that I criticize people is because deep down in my heart, I'm insecure. And so by putting other people down, uh, I make myself feel better. Uh, And criticism is just poisonous. It stems from insecurity. It serves to puff us up. And here's the thing. There was this group of people in the Bible called Pharisees who did criticism really well. Do you notice Jesus didn't like them? They didn't have any friends because they were self-righteous, critical people. The book of James says in chapter 4, verse 11, Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. Third reason that we can destroy relationships with our tongue is gossip. I don't have time for, for references, but let me just say this. Everybody knows that if you're gossiping to them about somebody else, when you go to somebody else, they're gossiping about you. Did I get that right? Did I say it right? Yeah? If I start gossiping to John about Tom, then I go over to Naomi, then chances are John's thinking he's probably talking about me. Right? Gossip is so poisonous. And it's so poisonous because it breeds distrust. And without trust relationships do not work. Final thing that destroys relationships is unpleasant speech. Whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. That's 1 Peter 3 verse 10. So, there's some wisdom on how to speak. And how to listen. Some from the Proverbs, some from elsewhere, sorry. But there's one pr- big problem that I've found with all this. Maybe you feel the same way. I don't know whether you've ever had something explained to you <coughs> that you just can't do. For me, it's golf, right? <laughs> I know what to do. The hole's down there. I've got to use my club. I've got the clubs, 14 clubs in my bag. I know what to do. I know how it all works. I understand the rules. I I understand what needs to happen. The problem is, I just don't have the ability to get that little ball from there, down there. Right? 
And I feel the same way about the, c- the conversation we're having today, about speaking and listening. I know what I need to do. The, the Bible instructs us, the Proverbs tells us so clearly about ways that we can use our mouths for good and how, some things that we shouldn't do. But no matter how hard I try, I find that I keep on getting it wrong, time after time after time. Luke 6, 45 says this. This is the reason. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Here's the problem with all that we're talking about. We could talk all day about what comes out of our mouths. But you know as well as I do that what comes out of here is dependent on what's going on in here. Right? And so if we really want to see our mouths working for good, if we really want our relationships to be strong and sustainable, not volatile and insecure, then more than just dealing with our mouths and what we say, we need to deal also with our hearts. And here's the wonderful thing about being a Christian. We have the power of Jesus to help us. Jesus promised us the Holy Spirit, didn't he? And, and Ezekiel, you know Ezekiel, the Old Testament prophet? He looked forward to the day when Jesus would come and the Holy Spirit would be poured out on all flesh, people like you and me. And he said a wonderful thing, and this is so exciting for us when we think about the state of our hearts and the evil that comes out of them through our speech. Ezekiel looked up and he saw um, a picture of what Jesus was going to do through the pouring out of the Spirit, and, and he said this, it was God speaking, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Friends, this is life-changing when it comes to our words and how we speak. We need a heart transplant, don't we? If we want our mouths to work, and we want our relationships to work, then it's not just what comes out, but it's what's in here. And, and Ezekiel said, on, on God's behalf, God was saying, I want to do something, not just in your brains and in your mouths, but I want to do something so deeply in your hearts that actually what comes out your mouths might be transformed. I want to take your hearts that are hard and cold and stone-like and, and breathe the life of God into them. You see, Jesus through the Spirit, wants to do a work in our hearts. He wants to heal our insecurities. He wants to give us confidence in the love of the Father. He wants to heal our pains. He wants to sanctify us that our hearts might become holy and through it that our our mouths might speak out holy words too. That is remarkable. And we get it through the Gospel. I hope that the practical stuff helps. I hope tomorrow when you go to work or maybe this afternoon when you're at home with your family, I hope that the practical stuff helps. Proverbs, I'm going to hold my tongue. I'm going to speak well. But I want to also point you to Jesus. If you're here and you're not a Christian and you know that your life and your relationships can be volatile because of the stuff that comes out of your life, I want to tell you that Jesus offers you an amazing solution. It's not self-help, 
right? It's not just practical wisdom. Jesus offers you a transformed soul. He says, I want to touch your life. I want to give you grace and mercy. I want to pour the Spirit into you that your heart might be transformed. And therefore, you have a new wellspring of life. That's how the Bible describes it. From which your speech, your behavior, your actions begin to look different. Deep transformation here that leads to behavioral transformation here and here. If you're not a Christian here, Jesus offers you that as a gift. He just says, I want to give you my grace. You ask me for forgiveness and commit to following me and I'm going to come and send my spirit to live inside you and begin a work of transformation. That's the best deal you could ever have. Seriously. Seriously. If you are a Christian here, then probably like me, you feel the weight of some of these truths from the Bible. Oh man, I get this wrong so much. Right? We also just are in an awesome position. Today we get to repent of what we've done wrong. It would be appropriate after this message to spend some moments in confession and repentance before God. God, I'm so sorry. I'm looking at your word and I'm seeing that what I do with my mouth just doesn't glorify you in any way. I'm so sorry. That would be appropriate. But then, because we've received the Spirit through Jesus' death and resurrection, we get to ask the Spirit to transform our lives afresh this week. Holy Spirit, would you help me this week to get it right? Would you deal with the stuff in my heart that's leading to problems with my mouth? Would you help me? The final thing we can do today, you know, um, a friend of mine um, called David, um, I was talking to him about repentance once upon a time. And um, he just said something so helpful to me. He said, the thing with repentance, Ben, it's all well and good saying sorry to God. But part of true repentance is also doing everything that we can to change, trusting that the Holy Spirit is going to do the rest. If you're here and you want to repent and you want the Spirit to help, but you don't actually want to change, I'd say that something's wrong with your heart. But if, you want, if you're willing to repent, if you're asking the Spirit for help, And if you leave here today committed to doing your best to work these things out into your life, I really believe the Holy Spirit wants to transform the way we speak, that our relationships might flourish and that we might glorify Jesus in all that we do. Should we pray? And then Tom's going to lead us in a a response. Father, we... um, We just feel, Lord, the weight of these words. Lord, we recognize that we're just, we get these things wrong day after day after day after day. Lord, we feel the weight of that verse in Luke chapter 6 at the end there, that what comes out of our mouths is only a sign of the condition of our hearts. So, Lord, we just recognize together that we need you desperately in our lives. Lord, we just, we we feel the weight of conviction. We thank you so much that you're a gracious saviour, that you don't treat us as our sin deserves, that you don't treat us based on the things that we've said or not said in the week that's gone or the months or even the years that have gone. 
We thank you that we're free from the guilt and shame of those things. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you've given us the Holy Spirit. Real life-giving power to transform our hearts. And so, Lord, I just want to ask you to come upon your people right now and do a work in people's hearts. That your power might be at work in us, transforming us, removing our insecurities and our pride, and giving us a healthy, holy wellspring of life from which we can do the week ahead. Thank you, Lord, that there's real power in the gospel to live a blessed life. I want to pray for my brothers and sisters as they work through the book of Proverbs, Lord, that it wouldn't just be an acquisition of head knowledge that leads to us trying to change our behaviour in a way that won't work. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would discover more of your Holy Spirit's power working in our hearts, that out of that, our hands, our actions, our words, our relationships, our work lives, our home lives, our marriages, our families, might work better and be more blessed and know more of your grace. Please, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.